0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. Let me address this. Your life in Christ, on the surface level, we have this way about conducting our lives where everything looks good, and we're really good in the church of pretending that things are good. We show a lot of leaves. We show a lot of leaves. And we want to keep people at a distance. No, no, I'm a good, healthy fig tree. Good, healthy fig tree. But
0: our roots have long since dried up. Have long since dried up. Things aren't always how they appear to be. Our culture is really good at putting on a show for everybody to see. And oftentimes, the display we put on is very different from reality. You can have a nice car and wear nice clothes and have nice stuff, but you might be racking up debt just to look like you've got lots of money. Pastor James teaches us in today's message that as Christians, we're not to be faking our relationships with God. What's really going on in your heart? Does it match what's on display outwardly? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Let's set the context here a little bit more. If you go back into verse 12 of chapter 11, it says the next morning, this is after the triumphal entry. So Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem on the specific day it was prophesied concerning him that the Messiah was going to show up in Jerusalem. That's called Palm Sunday, right? So that happens. He goes into the temple, makes observations, leaves Jerusalem, and camps out in a city on the outskirts of Jerusalem because it's Passover week and there's millions of people in Jerusalem. But he took some mental notes and all that good stuff. The next day, what would be Monday, this is where verse 12 is, that next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. So he wakes up. He's going to make his way into Jerusalem. He's got a busy day of ministry ahead of him. And he needs, just like you and I need, he's got to start the day off with a good, healthy breakfast, right? Some fig newtons. Uh, Maybe not fig newtons, but he wants some figs. Um, Figs are delicious, by the way. I love figs. But he sees a fig tree in the distance, Okay, And all signs show that this fig tree has fruit because it has its full leaf, meaning it has full leaf. And even though it's not the season, technically, there's multiple seasons for fig trees. But for this specific fig tree, it should have still had some fruit on it. It displayed all signs of life from a distance. Jesus approaches the fig tree, examines the fig tree. There's no fruit at all, none at all. A lot of outward showing, but internally, nothing's happening, Okay, So Jesus curses the tree, and it dies. And you're like, well, that's extreme. He's using that as an example concerning the nation of Israel. All show, but there's no depth. There's no life in Israel at all as a nation, as a nation. Served as a good warning for us. You know, it's not about your outward appearance. What's happening internally concerning you and the Lord, right? And and staying connected to the vine, John chapter 15, staying connected to the vine will produce fruit within your life. I mean, it's inevitable. If you are connected to Jesus, you will produce fruit. There's no way around it. If you are disconnected to Jesus, you will not produce fruit. I mean, it's common sense, right? This fig tree is dead at the roots. And Jesus knew that, and he he placed his curse on it and made no one ever eat from you again. The disciples heard him say this, okay? So then they go into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He turns over the tables and drives out the money changers and, and all the people who had occupied space within the court of the Gentiles. They set up their marketplace in the court of the Gentiles, making it harder for them to show up and worship, and everybody's using that as a shortcut going through and all that good stuff. Shortcuts are an amazing thing, except for when you're you know, trampling through somebody's place of, like, that's their only opportunity to worship or place to worship. That's Temple-wise, that's what was happening. Jesus was upset about that. He got mad about that, and he was right in getting mad about that turned over the tables, drove them out for the second time in his ministry. And then he leaves, and they go back. Sun goes down, sun comes up, it's Tuesday, and they're heading back into Jerusalem. And that's where this story picks up in verse 19. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. Verse 20, the next morning, Tuesday morning of this Passion Week, as they passed by that same fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. From the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed. He's like, whoa, Jesus, that thing died. He's like, I know, I cursed it. Um, yeah, Peter, what you didn't know is that thing was pretty much already dead. It was already dead. And before we move into this prayer section, let me address this. Your life in Christ, on the surface level, we have this way about conducting our lives where everything looks good. And we're really good in the church of pretending that things are good. We show a lot of leaves. We show a lot of leaves. And we want to keep people at a distance. No, no, I'm a good, healthy fig tree. Good, healthy fig tree. But our roots have long since dried up. Have long since dried up. Maybe we're not doing devotions like we used to do. Maybe we're neglecting time within the scriptures. That once was important to us. Maybe our time of prayer is just weak and anemic. And well, maybe just not even, just non-existent. And the roots are drying up. There's a good lesson from the fig tree for not just the nation of Israel, but for the Christian. For the Christian in maintaining health within your life and your walk with Jesus. The reason why we stress, read your Bibles, pray, fast, give, acts of worship, is for your health. It's for your spiritual health, your spiritual well-being, because you know what it's like. I'm not the only one, and I have been here before in my walk with Jesus, where the roots have dried up. You know what that's like, and if you just, if you just trace it back, you start to know, like, man, I... Start started slacking off here. I maybe started compromising here. And these things led to, Jesus, I need you to treat this tree. I need you to bring some life back into this, this tree, because the roots are drying up. So with this fig tree, I wanted to hit that just for a second, because I think it's important. It's important for us to stop every so often and reevaluate where you're at with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I would, I would encourage you to invite him into the solution, right? Because he's going to know you better than you, all right? Because again, we, we not only try to fool other people, we try to fool ourselves all the time. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. The more you say that, the less fine you actually are, right? I think we understand how that works. You just bring, invite the Holy Spirit in and say, you know what? Lord, I think it's time for a checkup. I think it's time for a checkup. Where am I at? I haven't been noticing any fruit, no fruitfulness in my life. Man, Lord, are are the roots healthy? Am I connected to you? Or have I allowed something to come in that has disconnected me from you? I mean, it's just a simple taking a step back and looking at your life and, like, am I being fruitful? Where am I not being fruitful? I'm not saying you're going to have like huge harvest and all this stuff. Sometimes it's just a little, you know, piquito fruit, right? A little, little bitty guy. And I'll, man, I'll take that little bitty guy for the rest of my life, right? I don't need huge harvest. But tell me there's some signs of life within my walk with Jesus, okay? So we see that with the fig tree. The fig tree, it, it had withered from the roots up, as dead as dead can be. Peter was—he like, was just like amazed by this. He's astonished by this because, my goodness, who can do this? Well, the Messiah can do this, and you've been hanging out with him for three years, Peter, and you've seen him do lots of other miraculous things. Somehow, for whatever reason, as Peter is partnering with Mark to record this gospel, and this gospel is full of colorful language, Peter, like he lets Mark know, he's like, "Oh, wait, wait. on that fig tree thing, make sure you put in there that I was really excited about that." You're like, about that? Like, Peter, what about? No, no, no. That thing tripped me out, right? Like, that was crazy. I saw him do all this other stuff. But man, that tree was there one day, and it was gone the next. Peter, I don't know, maybe he had this affinity for, like, trees or something. Maybe he's a secret gardener kind of a guy. I don't know. But um, this tree thing, like, really kind of stuck out to Peter. The other thing about that is that he remembered he heard Jesus audibly speak to the tree. Now, this is key for this next part. Jesus didn't just keep it inside. He didn't just internally think like, oh, I hate this tree. He didn't hate the tree, by the way. I hope you know that. He was just proving a point. No, he had to communicate. He had to speak out the judgment onto the tree, Okay, because the disciples weren't mind readers either. So they heard him speak to the tree, and what he spoke to the tree happened. It happened. Okay, now let's have some fun with prayer, right? (laughs) Now let's get into this weird and wild thing called prayer. Jesus is going to use this as a teachable moment. Verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, I think there's a key there. He didn't say to everybody, He said to his disciples, his followers, those that sit at his feet, his disciples, it's key, have faith in God, period. You're like, okay. (laughs) You're like, I imagine, I, I encourage you guys, anytime you read through the word, you study the word, put yourself into the story. Imagine you were the 13th disciple hanging out with these guys. And you're like, walking. you see, well, there's that tree. I remember, yeah, he cursed that thing. Now it's dead. And then Jesus is like, hey, yeah, um, have faith in God. And you're like, but that's, a, that's what we're doing, right? Like, wait, this is, that's, yeah, that's step one, right? Like, you don't have to tell me this. But why are you telling me this? Have faith in God. What he does not say is, have faith in faith. Have faith in feelings. Have faith in emotion. Have faith in God. Let's start there. He goes on to tell him, I tell you the truth. Your translation may, if it's a New King James or an Old King James, it may be like, verily, verily. I tell you the truth. He's like, pay attention to this. You can say to this mountain, now, what mountain he's talking about could be the Mount of Olives. Could also be the mount where the temple was sitting on. We don't know. Doesn't matter. He says mountain. You could say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. And you're like, what? Like, wow, that's amazing. Now, let me tell you this. That's not going to happen, Okay physically for you. So if you, you go out and you're trying to like, oh, I'm going to try to move a mountain, physical mountain into the sea. God's not going to answer that prayer. I'm telling you right now, um, because there may be people who live on that mountain who don't want to live in the sea, okay? Or it's people who live in the sea that don't want a mountain coming crashing down on them. So you understand there's some logic behind this, okay? So we can be like, oh, I'm going to go move a mountain. The phrase move a mountain is a common one in Jewish tradition. And it simply means this. There's an immovable object in your path. And only somebody who is tremendously powerful can do something about it. OK? Moving mountains equals moving difficulties. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's why he's using this illustration. Like, you could say to this mountain, move. And you pick it up and God cast it into the sea for you. He's not talking about a physical mountain. He's talking about an obstacle within your life within your life. Oftentimes in Jewish tradition, this type of action would only be ascribed to like superhero kind of people, super rabbis. The most spiritual people could do acts of faith like this. But Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you can do this. You can do this. Jesus would be telling us today, oh, by the way, you can do this. You can. You can move mountains. You can remove obstacles within your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can. Now, we need to define what those obstacles are, okay? I think, according to the end of this passage, the biggest obstacle that you and I face is that of an unforgiving heart or a bitter heart. I think those are the biggest mountains within our lives, But God says, we can move those. We can get those out of the way. And see, this is what this is talking about. When you go into this prayer passage, we got to be really careful that we don't go too far to the left or too far to the right. We want to stay right straight down the middle, okay? We're not getting into this name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever, you know, God's my genie and he has to answer my prayers and all that good stuff. That's not how it works, Okay, that's not how it works. But let's press into this a little bit more. You may be lifted up and thrown into the seat, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So when you pray, when you are approaching an obstacle within your life, you need to come to him with confidence. 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 The book of Hebrews tells us that we have direct access, Jordan references this in his prayer, that the veil had been torn. And so we have direct access into his very presence. And may we boldly go into that. May we go into his presence with confidence. Christians should be confident people when it comes to spiritual things. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that You are connected to your heavenly Father who is bestowed upon you or given to you all the blessings in the heavenly realms. He's made those available to you and to me. Like, God, our Father, is like, here's my debit card. Swipe away when it comes to spiritual things. Now, we are sinners, and we always mess this up. And we like material things. And we like those things that bring us satisfaction, God's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things that my heart desires. And the more time you spend with him, the more time you spend in his word, the more time you commune with him, your desires will be transformed into his desires. His desires. How do I know God's will for my life? Spend time with him. I had a former U student reach out to me last night how do you know you're supposed to move to Galveston? How do you know? How, do, how am I supposed to know like God's will? And how do I know that it's God's will and not my, my selfish desires? I'm like, hang out with him. Hang out with him. The more time you spend with him, the clearer that becomes. Amen. God is good. James chapter 1 says that he gives all good gifts. He loves pouring out good gifts. He's a good father. Tells us that in the gospels. You ask for something, he's not going to give you a snake. He's a good heavenly father who wants his best for his kids. That's who he is. I don't know why we we walk around, either we go from one extreme to the other. We we walk around thinking like, man, he hates me, he doesn't like me, and I'm pretty sure he's going to allow some tragedy to come into my life and where he kills me or he takes everything away from me. You can't walk around like that as a a son or a daughter of God Almighty, okay? That's not fair to him. He's going to get me. He's going to get me, okay? Or you can't walk on the other side where you're like demanding of God all this stuff. We should have this godly fear, this reverential fear of who he is and say, Lord, you know what I need. You also know what I want, but I'm just going to lay all that at your feet, and I'm just going to trust you. I mean, you just to show up in my life. Because just to know you is more than enough. I mean, isn't that what David said in the Psalms? Just to spend a moment in his house. Oh, it's so, it's worth it. Just give me that moment. If I get anything else, that's a bonus. That's a bonus on top of just time spent with creator of all things, who died on the cross for me. Man, you hook me up with anything beyond that? Uh, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. And God's so good, man. You, and you may be able to testify to this, where I know in my life... There have been things that I have needed in my life, and God has been faithful and has shown up and always has delivered what I need. But there's also been some times in my life where he's given me what I've wanted, which is really weird. It's mind-blowing, but he's like, I'm a good father. I'm not going to give you all that you want because all that you want is not good for you. But I know how to show up, and I know how to hook you up. You just stop stressing. and Just trust me. I'm like, that's the hardest lesson. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm still 20 years in this thing, trying to figure out how not to stress so much. God's like, well, you'll figure it out one day. I'll be dead. Um, that's when all the stress goes away. I'm like, oh, woo, I made it. And he's like, eh, yeah, yeah, um, you did. You made it. Um, but he's teaching his disciples this amazing, amazing concept of prayer. But again, within this prayer and this asking and you know, and having confidence and all that stuff. This has nothing to do with receiving anything. This has everything to do with removing stuff. See, our ones on one side who are like more of the prosperity, name it, claim it, they're all about the receiving, using this to get. When Jesus' heart to his disciples is, this is to remove this is to remove. This is to remove obstacles. This isn't so you, you get that thing. This is so that you get that thing out of your life. That's key. That's absolutely key to this. But you've got to really believe it. You have to believe it. If there's an obstacle, let's use a hypothetical here, maybe there is bitterness in your heart towards some person. That bitterness is going to hinder your prayer life. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's a mountain in your prayer life, and it is blocking. It is blocking, and you have to deal with that. And you've got to approach that mountain, and you need to verbally say, mountain, move. Bitterness, be gone. Throw that thing into the sea. You have to deal with it aggressively because it's a hindrance in your prayer life. How do I know that? Because I lived that way for so long. For so long. And it wasn't that my prayers weren't being answered or anything, anything like that, but it was my walk with Jesus wasn't what it should have been or could have been. Why? Because I had a mountain called bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart towards an individual within my life. Praise God for godly people in our lives who can know how to step into your life and say, you have to deal with that. And you can't just like inwardly deal with that? Like, okay, I'm going to think about it, and then I'm going to say it inwardly. You won't ever hear it. Okay, good. It's has gone. No, it's not gone. It's still there. What I had to do was verbalize it. Had to get it out there. Why does that even matter? Well, I don't know. There's something about verbalizing stuff that actually matters to God. Paul says that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died and rose again, saved you, right? Like, you confess him as your Lord. That's an act of that. It's not just like, you can't just believe in your heart. You have to confess with your mouth. Like, they go together. There's no like, I believe that, and I'm never going to tell anybody that. That doesn't make sense in Christianity. There's no place for that in Christianity. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Praise God. Proclaim it. Tell people that.
2: Hope, hope the
0: We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to BreadForTheBroken.com and click on Contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.